This is the Fatherhood Unlocked podcast, and my name is Dan Doty. I'm a father of three, an outdoorsman, and a meditator, and supporting dads to be the best version of themselves is my highest calling. Fatherhood is the biggest rite of passage in a man's life. It's our biggest opportunity to grow up, to wake up, and to learn who we actually are. I believe that a father's love is the biggest missing vitamin on the planet. This podcast is intended to be a lightning rod to call men to action, to create community, and to set a new tone and standard for what fatherhood means. Welcome to Fatherhood Unlocked. Welcome, everybody. I am super honored to announce the first guest on this first episode of this podcast ever as John Wineland. John is a teacher, a speaker, and the author of the recently released book, From the Core, a new masculine paradigm for leading with love, living your truth, and healing the world. I first met John in a retreat many, many years ago. It was a retreat put on by David Data, and John was one of the assistants in the back of the room, and he led some of the exercises for the men that weekend. I didn't really know who he was. I didn't know his name, and he left an impression on me. I've been tracking his work as he has risen to incredible heights as a true powerhouse in the world of men's work and intimacy, polarity, and spirituality in general. He's been doing the work. I have an immense amount of admiration and honor for him. And in this episode, we dive into the world of fatherhood and his experience as a dad. If you have followed along with John's journey at all, you know about his daughter, Claire. Claire passed away in 2018. Claire Wineland was an activist, an author, a speaker, and a social media personality. She lived with cystic fibrosis, and she just burned uh, an incredibly bright light of love and goodness on this planet. In this episode, John and I are going to travel through the full depths of what it means to be a dad, through the lens of his experience and through the lens of what he teaches. And we don't pull any punches here. This is a a deep and vulnerable and truth-speaking conversation. I'm really honored to share it with you all, and I hope you get a ton out of it. Before we begin this episode, I want to tell you a little bit more about this show and what's really going on here and where I want this to go. And then I'm going to tell you about a few opportunities, and then we'll get on with this main event. I have been incubating the idea for this show for a couple years. And I've taken a couple-year hiatus from being a podcaster. Honestly, it's been a nice break, and it's been a little intimidating to get back into it. But the purpose of this show is really clear to me and very strong. After dedicating the last 20 years of my life to supporting men and boys and, and learning and helping us and myself and all of us become more whole and better people and being the best version of ourselves, I have discovered that as I became a father, everything shifted for me. All of the work I'd done, all of the therapy and the men's work and the, you name it, the meditation, everything, it felt so important before I became a dad. But once I had children, it felt like everything changed and the stakes became so much higher. Not only did the stakes change, but I changed. I have been blown away by the fundamental difference of what it means to be a dad and what happens. The way that my heart has literally just exploded open, my ability to love other people, my ability to be sensitive to other people, 
on one hand, that's increased immensely. On the other hand, I have had to get my shit together far more (laughs) clearly and decisively than at any other point in my life. And through this, I now see fatherhood as the most incredible opportunity, the most leverageable point in a man's life. First of all, to grow up and to wake up and to show up and to become ourself, for me to become myself. And I also see it as the most leverageable opportunity to do good in this world and to start that good by serving our families, by being there fully, by loving fully, by taking care of shit fully, by just being all in. But then I see it as extending beyond that as well. It extends into the world. Bell Hooks said, and I agree, that the number one missing thing on the planet is a man's love, is male love. I think that's true. I think that if everybody on the planet had the requisite amount of the vitamin of love from men, love of their father, their brothers, their friends, this would be a different planet. And I think the people best poised to make this change are dads because we are shown how to love by our kids. It becomes a completely necessary and real and organic part of our lives to know how to care for others. And like I said, at the same time, we have to get our shit together. We have to take care of business. We have to learn how to take action. So I do see fathers as having this opportunity for the most incredible transformation, not only for themselves, but for everything and everyone around them. That's what we're up to here. I aim to bring incredible conversations, deep conversations. I aim to have the conversations about fatherhood that are hard to find or are we're actually unable to find. Behind this show, there are programs and men's groups and retreats and wilderness experiences and all of these things that aim towards the same goal. I'm so glad you're here. You obviously don't have to be a dad to listen, and I just want to thank you for your presence. All right, the last thing before we get going with the interview I want to tell you about two opportunities that are coming up. The first is a wilderness program called Force of Nature that I run for men. The next opportunity is on an island off the coast of Maine at the very end of April, April 28th through April 30th. I'll be bringing 15 men together. We're going to get on a boat. We're going to stack our gear on that boat, and we're going to go out onto this island. We're going to sleep under tarps. We're going to cook over fire, and we're going to do a deep dive, immersive men's group experience for a whole weekend. I have my badass assistants, Corey and Devin, and an incredible island with just nature's full-fledged beauty. This is an experience that truly changes men's lives and brings people together. It's an incredible reset. You're invited. Check out our website to see more details. One more. I'm so excited to announce the first ever experience, The Unbreakable Bond. This is a seven-day wilderness expedition for fathers and sons run in Yellowstone National Park this summer, this July, July 16th through 22nd. It's going to be a six-day wilderness backpacking experience through the wilds of Yellowstone. If you know anything about Yellowstone, it is an intact ecosystem with elk and bears and wolves and just some of the most beautiful landscape in the country. We're also going to do a full day of rock climbing facilitated by Montana Alpine Guides. And amidst the adventure of this, this is an opportunity for fathers and sons to intentionally bring their bond 
to the forefront, to be honest, to learn about each other, to grow. This is an opportunity for the young men to have a rite of passage, to step up in life. And this is an opportunity for fathers, for you to step in, lean in, and show up all the way. Build the bond with your son amidst immense adventure and joy and fun. This is a pretty incredible opportunity. Aaron Blaine is my co-leader. You can find out more about this on the website. All right, and now we have my conversation with John Wyland. John, uh, good to see you again. It's been lovely the past handful of years to have a touch point uh, conversation over what's well. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Dan. Glad to be here. Yeah. Um, every time we've talked so far, we've we've we get to talk about some of the the things that are, are are deeply important, the most important to me. Uh, today, specifically with with this project and this podcast, uh, you know, just a little context. So I have a, a six-year-old son named Duke, a four-year-old son named Jude, and a one-year-old daughter named Wilderness. Mm. And so I'm fucking in it, man. Yeah, of course. I'm deeply, deeply engaged in the life. Surprised you can get through a podcast. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, in the in the world of, of men's work, in the world of consciousness and just all, all of the things that I've really focused my life around, um, I just have found a really beautiful, beautiful sort of conjunction and fit between the growth work uh, that myself and so many people are up to and uh, what seems to me to be this sort of opportunity in life where uh, some of that really hits the road, the rubber meets the road there mm-hmm. and, and whatever this human project is all about. It's uh, obviously a very important part of it. So um, my first my first thought or question for you, which is is just a thought, but what I'd, what I'd like to do is just put it out there and then just hear your response or your your reflections sure. on it. Sure. Um, so the, the idea is possibly that fatherhood could be one of if not the greatest portal to a man's growth in his lifetime. Um, what do you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I shudder to think, you know, what my life would have been like without Claire, you know, without my daughter. And yeah, the it sort of forces us, I think, to get out of the mindset of strive, achieve, win, right? Because there's there are these little beings that just need our love and attention and presence. and And I think that's the tension that I see in so many fathers that I work with is you know this desire for purpose and mission and to create in the world and to give to the world and to you know say what you know we're born to say um and taking care of this you know of family and and of children um and so i think that for me fatherhood uh gave me a really beautiful you know uh test lab (laughs) Uh, for how to do that, right? How to, you know, how to, you know, step into a purpose because Claire was, I don't know, early teens, no, preteens when I started my work um, with my teacher Mm -hmm. and, and she was involved every step of the way as I kind of developed my own platform, my own purpose, my own vision. And, you know, her and I would talk about it a lot. Um, So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there, you know, fatherhood and relationship, you know, those are the, those are the training grounds. And for any of your men that are currently married and, and fathers, right. They're, they're probably, they're in it. I'm sure. Just like you said. 
Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe we'll just dive a little bit more into your, into your story here mm-hmm. before we get into the, the more technical teaching aspects. But um, I would love to know, you know, who were you prior to having kids? Like just mm-hmm. prior, right? I mean, you can, mm-hmm. you can share whatever you want, but like, you know, who was mm-hmm. John the man? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, I had I had Claire when I was 31. So um, so my 20s were a blur, you know, lots of sex, drugs and rock and roll under the guise of being a graduate student. I was studying um, art. So I was I was in grad school at UCLA and then at UT and then at NYU. And Claire came while I was at UT. And and so I went from you know, my, my daughter was born, for those who don't know, my daughter was born with special needs. And so very soon thereafter, I mean, I went from basically living for myself, right? And um, I got sober, you know, at 29. Uh, so I kind of pulled up the nose of the plane, <laughs> just in time for Claire to be born. Um, so, you know, Claire only knew me sober. And she was born with special needs. Um, and and it became incredibly clear to me that the the path that I was on, which was to become a curator and an art teacher, um, mm. was not appropriate for her, right, and for her needs. And so I pivoted pretty quickly there, you know, like I was about a year, I, I had a full ride to NYU, I was studying art in New wow. York, you know, I was, I was, um, I was doing the thing that I thought I really wanted to do. But she had other plans, you know, she got really sick in New York, it, it was very clear that New York was not a good place for her. And so I, I had to, I basically just walked away from it. I was, I just kind of threw up my hands and said, Okay, like, life is giving me this precious human being to take care of. So I, I, I made the decision that I've made many times since, including just recently, which is where I went to the man I trusted. And I said, what do I do? Hmm. Like I'm here, I'm broke. I've got this six month old daughter who's, who needs me. Um, and, and that I need to take care of. What do I do? And the, the feedback I got was come back to LA um, and circle up with a group of men that was sort of my first men's group. This was 25, 26 years ago. Yeah. And this group met every day. Uh, it was a, it was a, a 12 step recovery group, but they met every day, 50, 60 guys meeting in Santa Monica. And those guys literally helped me become a father, helped take care of Claire, became Claire's uncles, you know, grandfathers, godfathers, everything were there every moment she was in the hospital. They were, you know, they were circling up around me um, on the board of her foundation. I mean, those guys really mm. became, that became the best decision. I think I, that's, I think I'd say that's in the top three decisions that I've ever made was to go back to Santa Monica and just plant myself in that men's group. So yeah, who I was beforehand was kind of just this sort of lost, self-centered, um, indulgent kind of man-child, you know, <laughs> which I still am in many ways, right? Uh, but but you know, she made me grow up fast, and uh, yeah, and yeah. you know, and thank God. Was fatherhood something that was on your radar? Like, did you grow up no. knowing or thinking? No, no, no. no. It was so no. weird because yeah. I, I met Claire's mom when I moved to UT and we knew each other mm. for a very short period of time when she got pregnant. And I remember having the feeling, oh God, it's so weird. I had this feeling. I was driving through Austin 26 years ago, something like that. Driving through Austin going, I could be a dad. Like this just came out of nowhere. This sort of soul signal. Like the Claire was probably signaling signaling me from the heavens saying I'm coming. 
Um, but yeah, it was just this sort of soul signal. I remember having this thought like, wow, I could be a dad. That was the very first time I'd ever had that wow. impulse. Yeah. yeah. And literally two weeks later, her mom was pregnant. So no shit, I found out okay. her mom was pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not sure about the timeline there, but pretty close right there after. And yeah. um, so, no, I hadn't thought about it at all. Beautiful. And what was your cosmology? I mean, I don't know. Was there under? Did, did, was there some spiritual aspect of your life? I mean, obviously, it seems like sex, drugs, rock and roll, and art was your life. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I'm just curious. You know, as that as you found that message, you know, one of the. I'm going to butcher this, but I was having a conversation with a, a fairly wise friend about a year ago, and, and he said one of the things that seems to happen to men as they mature is you actually eventually find your right place in the mm. grand scheme mm. of things, right? Like you actually mm. just sort of relax into where you actually are, and you stop projecting all of these, I don't know, ideas of how things fucking work. and Should be. Um, yeah, right? And so I know for myself, when I, you know, had my first child, there was there was just like, some of it I was aware of, a lot of it I wasn't aware of, but there's just a shift, right? Just this sort of like fundamental shift. And I think you already alluded to it. It's like self first. And then all of a sudden there's this other thing that's more important, but yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's, it's fascinating for me to hear more about that, about that you, like, what were you shifting from? Is yeah. there anything else that, that would, that comes to mind to share? Well, yeah, no, I mean, I just, I really just think self, you know, I was, I was yeah. so self-centered yeah. and self-oriented and I really thought that Claire would be born and then I'd fit her into this life that I had already <laughs> had all this momentum for and I would take her to New York and, you know, we'd, yeah. you know, have this really romantic experience of me studying art and raising a young child and, you know, and, and so, yeah, I think I was pretty clueless, Dan. I mean, yeah. I was pretty clueless. I yeah. was, I was barely able to, to grasp the, what the responsibility that I was stepping into. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't think I really found my place until, you know, 10, 12 years later, right. When yeah. I started to do the things when I was in LA and really cultivating and building a community around what I do that I started to go like, Oh, okay. I'm in now I'm in my place. But yeah. I think, I think like a lot of men that I know, like fatherhood came out of, I was not married and consciously mm -hmm. choosing to have a child. Like Claire just came like, you know, God said, here she is, you know, yeah. and, and, and that's why I, I really believe that she was a, just a gift to kind of a wake up call, a, a cosmic shift, a karmic gift, you know, all of those things. And I think the thing that really shifted for me when, when I had her and when she had special needs and, you know, her life was very precarious for the first couple of years of her life yeah. was that I fell madly in love. I just, you know, I'm dad's listening. We'll get this. Like I just yeah. fell so madly in love with her that, you know, nothing else mattered really. Yeah. Like it just became, all right, it's you and me, you know, yeah. how do, how do I take care of you? How do I make sure you get the best care and that you're safe and that you're, you have the best shot at a, um, at a meaningful life. Yeah. So just tell us more about her. Tell us more about her when she arrived. And um, yeah. yeah. So she was, you know, she was born with what's called cystic fibrosis, which is a genetic disease and um, fairly rare. And uh, we found out right as she was born 
you know, she came out looking like ET and had a big cyst in her belly, had to go into an operation right away. And, you know, right from the beginning, it was mayhem. Um, but uh, she, um, we loved her, both her mom and I loved her. And we stayed together for five years, even though we barely knew each other, really, to, mm -hmm. to give her a stable home and all of the things. You know, she ended up uh, living this incredibly magical life. She she died when she was 21 in 2018, which is about, you know, the basic life expectancy for kids with CF. Mm. And um, but in that life, um, she, she was able to become a world renowned speaker, started a foundation that became, you know, incredibly, uh, you know, well respected that still that still goes on. She did three TED Talks. She was teen of the mm -hmm. year. She traveled all around the world speaking. She was literally a, a an absolute light for the world. And, um, and uh, you know, she still has a couple documentaries on, on YouTube that have had millions of views. And, you know, she's still a very impactful figure in the world of children's uh, children's rights and 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 um, children's advocacy, especially for kids with special needs. So I could have never seen that coming. You know, yeah. it just really, it really, you know, but the thing that I, I swore as she got older that I wanted to do was I just wanted to put her in a position to have the deepest life experiences possible. And so, um, so I would take her with me on trips. Like when I went to teach in Europe, mm -hmm. she came mm -hmm. with me and was my doc, you know, was my videographer. <laughs> and uh, so she could travel because she loved traveling. And, and, and I, you know, I set up this foundation, uh, you know, with her mother so that, so that she had a platform to give her message and, you know, and she did most of the rest, but I, I just created this space. I, I actually think that one of the gifts that the father in particular can give to a child is to introduce them into the introduce them to the world and give them the best shot of experiencing the world that they can experience and and in that in that instance i feel like a, an incredible success amazing yeah um I'm not sure if I have a question here, if I'm just going to babble some words out, but I'll just give it a shot that that when you when you shared about falling in love with her and the impact of that, you know, I, I believe that 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 is a uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing it's not uh, completely constant. I'm sure there's parents or fathers out there that don't have that experience. But um, I really feel that uh, what I've experienced is that can be an incredible opening and wake up call and sort of I don't know, just a just a gut check in a sense that whole, you know, the actually learning to love, to give and receive love, uh, I have found with all my work with men as being really a fundamental element, right? That that mm. there's oftentimes not full capacity to give and receive the innate love that that we have, and and having this yeah. little one in your arms, you know, it, it physiologically it just fucking yeah, happens, and for sure, um, yeah. I had to so, take care of her a lot. You know what I mean? Like there was yeah. one of the gifts was that she had treatments, you know, um, many, many treatments a day. And mm. <clears throat> some of those treatments required me to, you know, to, you know, pound on her back and hold her in certain mm. positions and, you know, put her, you know, put her through some things. And so there was a lot more, it, it wasn't just changing diapers and feeding, right. Yeah, and putting okay. to bed. There was a yeah. there was a level of care that was required of me just as a father of a kid with C CF that that really 
kept my hands on her, so to speak, you know, and kept yeah. me really deeply connected with her experience. Um, yeah. So again, I think that was a gift, you know, that was a tremendous gift to be able to, to have that. And one of those things that I just wasn't expecting, it, it was such a, uh, you know, God given gift that I just, you know, however, I mean, I'm a Buddhist, so whoever's listening, mm -hmm. like however you perceive God. Um, yeah, I, I, I really just believe it was a blessing that came out of nowhere that I likely didn't deserve, but, but, uh, you know, but it was also, you know, my, my experience of fatherhood was the deepest pain, sorrow, anxiety, fear, struggle that I think a human could have. And also the greatest joy, ecstasy, love that I think any father could have. I had the full experience of fatherhood. Could you take us into a moment or an example of the, the, the dark parts? Well, when she was uh, 13, I think just after her 13th birthday, she went in for a, a random surgery. And kids with CF spend, you know, three to four months a year in the hospital. It's like their second homes. Um, so it wasn't anything unusual, but she she got septic. They kind of botched the surgery and she got septic and went into a coma. And literally, like in front of my eyes, stopped being able to breathe. And so they put her on a ventilator and that didn't work. And then they, they put her on a, they put a tube down her throat and that didn't work. And finally the doctors looked at us and I just saw her, you know, struggling to breathe more and more and the fear in her eyes and the incredible like panic of not knowing what was going to happen. And the doctor said, well, listen, the only choice we have is to put her into a coma and put her on this very special breathing machine that will keep her alive. And hopefully we can treat this. And, um, and so that was literally one of the darkest moments was, you know, saying goodbye to her and saying, you know, like, they're going to put you to sleep. And, you know, when you wake up, we'll be here. And then a few weeks later, she's in the coma for three weeks. And when she came out of the coma, when she came out of the coma, you know, she came off all these drugs, they had her on fentanyl and, you know, and all these, all these crazy drugs to put people into comas. And after she cleared that, and came out her she still had a tube in her mouth but she could she was conscious and her i was next to her and she, her and i just were looking at each other mm. it must have been for five minutes you know as long as i as long I, I, it seemed mm. to stretch out forever but she just gazed into my eyes you know and i saw her experience through her eyes and and i saw her like you know recognizing me and coming back and she saw my experience and we just had this incredible moment of intimacy that um that was wordless you know and you know how many fathers get the experience of like eye gazing deeply with their children you know for that amount of time um yeah it's just something i'll, I'll never forget yeah man i mean it's incredible that you you made that choice and had that group of men around you, that group of, of humans. I, yeah, I'm sure. Here, you know, in one sense, I think part of what I'm hoping to build is some set of conditions so that that can be true for other fathers out there and be held yeah. in that time. Yeah. Um, it's tell so us needed, more about Dan. that. It's, it's so, yeah. it's so that yeah. nutrition is so needed. Yeah. That nutrition, that support, those guys came to the hospital, you know, mm -hmm. brought us food, you know, took meetings down into the hospital that we would meet every night while Claire was in the coma down in this basement in the hospital, you know, sometimes 50 people, people didn't even know me, didn't even know her. Jeez. 
and um, and it was it was just such an amazing support network, and uh, and I pray that you know, hopefully dads don't have my situation, but I pray that you know they get that kind of support. It's part of the reason why I do what I do, you know, with men's groups and mm-hmm. how we met, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. How else? What What else did you do to to stay okay? Did you stay okay? Maybe you didn't stay okay. I mean, what what was your status through through the the early years of Claire's life? Or I mean, how yeah, how did you fucking yeah. handle it, man? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I stayed sober, thank goodness. Um, you know, and uh, and not that that's required, but that was just what was required for me. Um, and uh, and I I really leaned on those guys to help me navigate things. But of course, I had all of the issues. You know, I I ate too much sometimes. You know, sometimes I smoked. You know, sometimes I just did whatever I could to sort of numb the pain of never knowing if my daughter was going to make it through the year or the week or the sometimes the night and um you know but i just i i I built up a pretty strong practice you know pretty strong practice of embodiment pretty strong strong practice of prayer you know a really strong practice of staying in the present moment and -hmm. then a really deep relationship with um death you know that the death is coming and so when claire came out of that coma we were like, okay, we don't know how long you have to live. We don't know what, you know, what your future is going to be like, but we're just going to, we're going to fucking go for it. Like we're going to yeah. enjoy everything we can. And so we really set up her life so that she could, you know, after about a six month period of recovery, she could really like step into the world and and do whatever she wanted to do. And um, yeah. And it was a, uh, it was just a miraculous ride to, to to know that death was coming, but to also know that that gave us a lot of sharpness in terms of of really enjoying what was there, you know, enjoying yeah. the times we had, the days we had, and uh, you know, those last eight years or so were absolutely fucking magical. Mm. And did you have a like a Buddhist practice, meditation practice, or things during yeah. and before before this? Yeah. Did, when when did yeah. you first start a practice of any sort, John? Yeah, I was young. I was seven. Yeah. Uh, my mom oh, okay, converted yeah. to Buddhism when I was really young. Yeah. So I started young, you know, I, I, I have a daily practice I've been doing pretty much since then, you know, off and on, but mainly on. And yeah. when Claire was sick, I would certainly lean on that where I'd meditate for hours, yeah. you know, I'd meditate for hours. And, you know, and I remember, I remember there was a moment where we just didn't know if Claire was coming out of that coma. And I called one of my dear friends, and he's also, you know, big meditator. And he said, look, man, nothing is wrong. You know, it's just consciousness unfolding. You know, it's just consciousness unfolding. And it really struck me like, yeah, you know, like whatever her life is, there's, you know, uh, as painful as that was to, to be reminded that there's something deeper happening. Um, yeah. You know, it was, was precious. So I want to ask a few more questions about that time in, in Claire's life, but just so I don't lose this question. Yeah. I'm fascinated by, I mean, the image that I, you know, saw as you spoke about death is like literally, you know, we probably sat down to a meal and like pulled a chair uh, open for death to sit. I mean, I just imagined it's just, you know, there with you in a sense. And, <laughs> you know, in, 
in the world of spiritual practice or embodiment or or these things that we work with these things we work with the heart we work with love we work with death we work with emptiness we work with these things i'm curious what your talk about like the relationship between the actual experience of those things in our lives and how we may work with them in the in the context of a spiritual container um yeah yeah well you know the day claire died um there's no really prepping for that it's just all love and heartbreak and you know and just wailing and celebrating and all those things it's the full spectrum but you know i use this a lot as a tool it's in my book i have a whole chapter on death in my book and i use this a lot as a teaching tool you know and the question i usually ask men is okay like you don't know when death is coming, but death is coming. <laughs> so um, what do you need to do so that when death comes, you can die without regret, either having completed what you need to complete or having busted your fucking ass to try? And that sharpens everything, you know? Mm -hmm. And in the case of Claire, the thing I knew I needed to do, you know, before she died, um, so that I could die complete was give her as much experience of life as yeah. as as she could take. And for example, when she got out of high school, just as she was 18, she wanted to live on her own. Her mom did not want her to live on her own. And I fought for that. I was like, no, she needs this experience. She this is, you know, yeah. you, you need to be, you know, teenagers need to get that experience either in a college or, you know, somehow like creating their own space and having their own space and living, mm -hmm. you know, living. So I, I made sure that she had that experience and she loved it, you know, and, and it really helped her grow. And so, you know, I I, I was I, I again, I feel like that's one of the great some of the, you know, even you know, I've had a lot of business success and I've had a lot of success in my world, but there's no success that compares to being able to give Claire the life that I know she wanted. Yeah. No. yeah. Do you feel like men or not men, just anyone that comes into your programs or your world or your teachings, um, do you feel like asking men that question, like what, you know, what do you need to to do to feel clean and complete and can go yeah. i feel like that's i think i i i dig that right of, of similar practices and i think it does work for a long way but but uh can we can we is that good enough to to just do that exercise or is is there some level of actual familiarity with loss? I mean, that's just one of the things I I continue to think. I mean, we no matter what, I feel like most people's distance from actual death and and, the, and the, even the possibility yeah. of it is, is quite it's quite a stretch. Yeah, right? there's a yeah, gap. It's very there. abstract. It's very abstract. Um, yeah. yeah. And but I was also thinking with love, right? It's the same sort of thing. I mean, I actually remember and I I've referenced this before. So you know, I did I did one intensive with David Data, and and you were one of the assistance there and it was on oh hi and it was amazing and i remember having this experience of, of heart opening that that i'd never had before and, I, and it was it was a wild beautiful very remarkable experience that stuck with me yeah. and then i just you know kind of compare and contrast that to having a child in my, my one of my children in my arms and just this complete overflow of of 
the energy. So I don't know even where I'm going with this, John, other than I'm, I am just curious about the, the, the depth of experiences that come up organically in our life. And then the depth of experiences that we sort of cultivate or practice with and how yeah. they interplay together. And as you know, I'm, I'm a yeah. practice studying and practicing Vajrayana um, stu- student. And so that's, yeah. you know, very much in the, in the, I see the flags. Practice. I see the flags. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I think there's both, right. One is like, you know, when you're holding your child in your arms or your child is dependent on you, or you're witnessing that some of the things that I witnessed, your heart can't help, but, you know, yeah. open, right. Either in pain or love or whatever. It's kind of, na- it's nature set it up that way. Right. But the rest of it is a practice, right. To practice. I love Carlos Castaneda's take on this, where he's like, look, if you think that this is the last thing that you're going to do, like if I knew that death was coming after this podcast, and I really thought like, okay, this is it. This is the last podcast I'm on. Like, what would I do? What would I say? What would, how would I act? If I knew that, the, you know, making love to the, you know, to my partner, this was the last time, like how much would I bring? And so really making deaths an ally requires that you be willing to live in the present moment and live as if this is your last act. And that's how your acts get the power that they, um, you know, that that changes things, that changes destiny, that changes lives, that changes directions of lives. And so, yeah, you're right. It's a practice. But then I also think, you know, that's one practice, you know, but the other practice, I think, I think what men are facing today is a lack of capacity. Right. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the pull to numbness, either through social media or our phones or, you know, whatever gaming, you know, uh, alcohol, you know, all of it. Right. Um, <clears throat> the pull to numbness is so strong, stronger than I think it's ever been, you know, in our society that we really need to find ways to practice conducting more love through the body. Like you talked yeah. about an instance, yeah. that whole workshop, you know, in the workshops that I do, it's about teaching people to conduct more love through their bodies so that it doesn't just happen, you know, in a moment of, you know, just a random moment, but that you actually have some agency. You can be like, yeah. okay, I might not feel like loving my kids. I might've had a shit day <laughs> and I'm going to stop before I walk in the door. I'm going to take some breaths. I'm going to feel my heart. I'm going to imagine, I'm going to feel how good it is to hold my children in my arms. I'm going to let my heart open. I'm going to, you know, exhale that love through every cell of my body. And then when I walk in the door, my body is literally conducting more love than it was three minutes ago. And that's what I'm going to bring. So the decision that I think you're alluding to, it's a moment by moment decision of how much love do I want to conduct through my body? So that the whole, so that I have a different experience of the world, so that the whole world has a different experience of me, especially my family, and that is a training that, um, and again, I get into a lot of ways to do this in the book, but that is a training that most of us were not taught how to do. Yeah, we weren't taught how to, you know, move love through our to turn love on, like mm-hmm. we would a bicep curl. Or like we would, you know, any other sort of practice, we weren't taught about using love as a love as a meditative and yogic practice. And, you know, a good part of Vajra Buddhism is, is, is that, but there's, you know, there's many other ways to do that. But that that to me is, I think, where 
what men are waking up to is like, okay, I could either yeah. kind of float through life and being a dad and yeah. having a business, I could just kind of float and react, or I could, you know, ground my spine, take some breath, you know, come into my body, open my heart and, and give from there. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And <laughs> they're getting their asses kicked out there. Like just, just under the waves, man. Um, so let's talk about the how. Let's talk about your book, and let's and let's and let's talk about your your, your core teachings. Particularly, yeah, I, I love that as one snapshot, right? Like like coming from the wider world, stepping through the door into the home. Um, I'm also really curious about, yeah, just general polarity when it comes to little ones, right? That's that's one mm. thing I'm, mm. I, I came mm. in with a lot of curiosity. But yeah, tell us yeah. about your book. I've read yeah. about half of it. Um, yeah. yeah. What's going yeah. on with that? Well, well, the book is really about I mean, most of my teachings with men, um, you know, and I run men's groups every year as you do. And I, and I, you know, my, my main teaching is how, what, what is the masculine, right? Because <laughs> all of us, not just men, but every human, we all have a masculine and the masculine is a part of us that is infinite and unchanging. That is grounded. That is still, that is empty yet full. That is awareness you know, you could think of the masculine as the field of awareness that is witnessing us having this moment. Yep. Right? You and I are having this experience, right? We're having the experience of this conversation. And there is a field of awareness that is that this experience is happening through. That is our masculine. Our masculine is not pounding our chest. It's not, you know what I mean? Although those are great practices and I love them. That's not the masculine. The masculine is that which is which is spacious, infinite, conscious. Mm -hmm. And making that present through the body is a healing and nervous system regulating practice. It's a practice. It's not this esoteric concept. It's actually something that can be done through the eyes, through the breath. I mean, you worked on it, you know, in David's workshop. And um, and that that getting in tune with that is a big piece of what I teach. Right. But that's only the first part of it. Right. Finding yeah. your own masculine. Then everything else, your experience, your emotions, your thoughts, all that stuff is the feminine. Right. The feminine in all of us, women, men, however you identify. And um, <clears throat> and so, you know, masculinity or the new paradigm of masculinity, as I talk about it, is the is the you know sort of beautiful, seamless integration mm -hmm. of the grounded, tethered us and the fully feeling us. Mm -hmm. And um, and when we can live in that kind of integrated space, we make better decisions. We're better lovers. We're better fathers. We're more calm. We're less reactive. We're more tapped into what matters. We're more humorous. We're healthier. You know, all of the things that happen from having an embodied experience of of deep feeling and deep consciousness at the same time. If that makes sense. I hope that's not too esoteric for for the people listening. No, but I... it's, it's truly doable yeah yeah no I, th I think um i really appreciate how how you know i've been you know listening and studying and practicing this stuff for a really long time now and i really i really do commend i i feel like you're a, you really do give a very direct understandable sort of window into it john i yeah. I, I, I think it i think it should make sense for most people so yeah. um so that yeah, that's the masculine, that's the feminine, and and so let's just let's overlay that on 
I don't know, let's just pick an imaginary human being who has a, a four-year-old, you know, just mm-hmm. becoming a, a slightly more human and a, and a young one who's not yeah. sleeping through the night to just, you yeah. know, the, the yeah. chaos that is early, early parenthood to start. Yeah. So there's not a better, there is not a better experience of the feminine than children, even boys. Right. And so it's just chaos, it's emotion, it's feeling, there's no grounding, <laughs> there's no stillness, there's no, you're like, everything is in motion, everything's always moving. So what I teach men who are fathers is how do you bring, you know, that conscious grounded presence, you know, to the feminine in all of her forms, could be your romantic partner, could be your children. And what what I like to sort of break this up into in these sort of three categories that David Data made famous, these three stages. So if you think about the toxic masculine, right, the masculine that we were kind of taught throughout the years that is um, my way or the highway, right? Like, so yeah. let's say you have a four-year-old and they're not going to bed. Our toxic masculine, and I'm certainly guilty of this too, is, you know, go to bed. <laughs> time for bed right yeah, you know yeah. that's our toxic masculine it's it's i'm going to force you to bend to my will and you know that has a positive aspect to it too but 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 oftentimes it's it's toxic right it's mm-hmm. it's not healthy so the healthy masculine in that situation you know healthy healthy masculine is about communication and dialogue and understanding and you know and you know understanding each other empathy compassion might want to have a conversation with that four-year-old and say, you know, if you don't go to bed now, you're going to be really tired when we're going to your grandmother's tomorrow and da 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 da. And, you know, might try to reason <laughs> with the four-year-old. And, uh, you know, sometimes that works, but most of the time, probably not at that age, right? Maybe when they're a little older. So you, you, there's this healthy kind of masculine, which leads communication and understanding, right? Mm-hmm. Then there is, which is incredibly powerful and helpful, right? And there's a whole skill set for that. But the sacred masculine, the, the elevated masculine, let's call it, in all of us, liberates, liberates with love, liberates with play, liberates with humor, liberates, but with, you know, embodied expression. And so that same four-year-old, you know, in a sacred moment, you know, you might pick the four-year-old up and blow on their belly and say, you're coming to bed and you throw them over your shoulder and you're kind of jostling with them and you take them to bed and they're probably laughing and crying and doing the whole thing, but you're just, you're blasting them with love all the way to the point where you lay them down in bed and say, okay, all right, big guy, now it's time to chill out. Like maybe there's a little more tickling, a little more play. And in doing that, you likely, I mean, you can't say all the time, but you likely liberate the the child's heart. You And you still get what you wanted, which is the child in bed. <laughs> I'm interrupting this conversation just for... 30 seconds to tell you about an audio course that I recorded and is for sale on daddoty.com. It is called Intentional Fathering, and it is a direct audio guide for the most important job that you'll ever have. Us dads, we don't really get training. There's no dad school to go to, and I'm not saying that this audio training is going to give you everything you ever need, but it is intended to take you a couple more steps down your path. It's an adventure of self-reflection, embodiment practices, guided meditations, storytelling, and assignments. It's designed to help you be fulfilled and successful in your role as a dad. 
You can find it at dandoty.com slash intentional dash fathering. Check it out. And if you're digging this conversation, if you're looking for that next big dive in without too big of a commitment, this is it. Just a few minutes ago, you talked about like the chest pounding, um, I don't know, like the rah-rah masculine uh-huh. exercises and elements yep. to, to that. So p- part of like the, the fundamental, I don't know, uh, how I'm cutting apart sort of some of the fatherhood unlock programming is part, part of it is really opening and liberating the heart and, and being able to have that, that uh, real connective part of life. But then also, you know, where a lot of men are, are struggling is, you know, simply to find the, the bandwidth capacity, energy, inspiration, fire, really fire to, you know, to fucking make shit happen. And, to, you know, because I mean, what I love about fatherhood is it's, it is like, a, it's a complete challenge in every direction, right? I, I do need to be able to slow the fuck down and drop in with my kids when necessary. And then I got to go to work and just like lift this in a immense project, you know, as efficiently as I can. So that fire, that, that, that real drive and fire, where does that, how do you work with that? Where does yeah. that lie? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So, the, the, the chronic problem I see with men, especially men in your position and who have businesses and families and partners, is malnourishment, mm. right? And I go through this a lot in the book where I talk about the ways that men can get nourished, the healthy ways that men get nourished. And we have to distinguish between nourishment and numbness. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes numbing out, having a beer, watching a movie, that's all great, you know, doing a Netflix binge, that's all great. But that often isn't the same as true nourishment. So nourishment, if you think about it from a neurological perspective, is the is the creation of dopamine, right, through um, which then leads to more testosterone. When you talk about fire, right, you're really talking about when you're talking about fire and vitality, you're talking about the combination of inspiration and 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 vitality. Yeah. Right. That's fire, really. Right. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. fucking stoked to write this book and I'm going to get up and I'm going to write it. You have to have both the vitality to be able to do it and you have to have the inspiration. And where men are really, and vitality gives birth to deeper inspiration, right? Yeah. You're exhausted. It's hard yeah. to be inspired. So vitality is the place where I see a lot of men struggle and a lot of men with, with big responsibilities. And so it's finding, it's being disciplined to find the places where you can get nourishment. So I know you love nature, right? One of the places mm-hmm. where men get nourished and refueled is in nature. Why? Because nature is sort of a place with no demand, right? There's, you can go into nature, be with, you know, the great feminine, be with all of that beautiful energy. She doesn't want anything from you. The waterfall does not want anything from you other than to just witness her, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and take her in. And so that's why you could, you know, men will go out and I certainly do this, my favorite thing, go sit on a rock next to a river, next to a waterfall and just receive. And in doing that, I'm literally replenishing my dopamine. I'm like replenishing all of this. And then all of a sudden I'm more inspired and more vital. So space with no demand really crucial like that even if that's sitting in front of the fire (laughs) staring at the fire for 20 minutes with nobody pulling on me that's crucial space with no demand in nature even better right space with no demand in nature with other men even better right and and so men men are learning now i think more and more that they need to covet this 
and they mm -hmm. need to fight for and negotiate yeah. with their partners, all the things they need to covet this space with no demand so that they can get nourished and then show back up to the family, back up to work, back up to life with some fuel in the tank. Um, and that's where I see I a mean, lot so of men struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yes, right. And, and it's just hard for them to figure out how the fuck to claim that and to exercise yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so real and it's, it's, you know, even just feeling like I just booked a, or I'm just about to book. I didn't click the button, you know, two nights away in a cabin, mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. and that's, that's my quarterly thing. And I would do way more if I didn't have three little kids. Right. But, yeah. but it's, it's interesting. I'm curious, what is the energetic plumbing at play there? Or do you have it? What's your sense of it? Like what, what is that about the demand and no demand? How did yeah. I, I'm, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, if it, it, the masculine in all of us, right. And you could, you know, your wife probably feels this way too, because she has to be in her masculine a lot, like directing, yeah. holding, you know what I mean? So the masculine in all of us, it's not just a gender thing, but the masculine in all of us craves freedom from demand, craves it, right? Just like the feminine in all of us craves love and affection and touch, right? In all of us, right? And so this this need for space with no demand can become chronic. I would argue that most pain men feel is because they feel bound in some situation yeah. that that where they feel trapped, where they can't they can't get that that freedom. That's why you know more vacations, you know more play, more you know getting high, like all of those things are ways we try to enter that space of no demand, but they're they don't fully scratch the itch. So part of what men are faced with is how do we hack? I hate that fucking term, but I'm going to use it. You know, how do we hack into that space of no demand? Meditation is one way that works beautifully, mm -hmm. right? Just like feeling the infinite expanse of consciousness at the core of my being, stretching out to the end of the universe. And in that space, I don't need anything. Mm -hmm. You know, five minutes, 10 minutes there, I don't need anything. And so it's a natural pull. And I would argue, you know, I work with a lot of women too. I would argue that women are happy to give us that within reason, right? Like mm -hmm. if you said, I want to go to Bali for three months, right? I'm sure that wouldn't fly well, but they're, they're happy to give that to us if they feel the purity of our desire to get replenished, to yeah. seek the divine, to get still. They're like, they're probably going like, yeah, man, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go, go get some, go get some space. So you can come back full. The problem is, is that oftentimes men will use those times to go party or whatever. And not mm -hmm. there's anything wrong with that. Look, you know, I, I, I did nothing wrong with that, but if that's what she feels you're doing, likely she won't be as supportive as if she feels, she, you know, you're doing what you're doing, which I'm going to go sit in a cabin. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to, I'm going to, just let everything fall away. I'm going to replenish. I'm going to stay in silence and I'm going to come back full for you, full yeah. for the kids, right? That's different. So how yeah, you I negotiate so. this with your partner is a skill set, man. It's an art, but you've got to sincerely be out there, you know, replenishing. I'm a hundred percent. I mean, I'm, I'm so lucky in this, this aspect, I think from my early twenties, right. I, 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 I spent immense amounts in the wilderness, but professionally, right. That was my job. Yeah. And so I just got, I just got kind of set up in that, in yeah. that flow and the normality of having that much space. And, mm -hmm. and um, it's been a really interesting thing to, 
yeah, to learn how to dose that, how to titrate that, how to really, you know, create that as my life has gotten more compacted and, and busy and full. It's, it's been really interesting. What do you say to the guy whose only release is to go to the gym and crank out reps and, and just that, is there, is there, is that, does that act in your world? Does that access that, that non-demand space? Um, Not quite. Not yeah. quite. It, it's, it's, it's good. It's good. Like yeah. exercise, of course, is good. Go exercise, yeah. man. Go, you know, go crank it out. Go because, you know, you sweat, you get serotonin, but that falls into the category of single minded purpose, right? I'm going to go get swole, right? <laughs> you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to get in great shape. That's a, that's the other masculine thing is we're very good at single minded purpose. And mm -hmm. so that falls into that category. And that's often great. But it doesn't, it's not the same thing as 20 minutes of silence in peace, just receiving and kind of allowing everything to fall away. And I think that both of those things are needed. You know, I'm a big hiker. How do you teach men to receive? How do you teach men to receive? Yeah, that's a that's a great question because it's hard. Um, yeah. you, it's literally a practice where you stop yeah. giving. Yeah. Like we're, we're all about output, right? Output, 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 you know, men especially are really about output. So you got to stop outputting for a moment. And, uh, you know, I have a couch right here, you know, and I'd sit on that couch and I will just do nothing yeah. for 20 minutes, like no phone, no, you know, sometimes I'll have a notebook in case an idea comes, but it's more just like, I'm now going from outputting to just opening up and receiving what the moment, what life, um, what the divine wants to give me. And sometimes it's just, it takes a little bit of time to just let the thoughts, you know, kind of clear. But you really have to, you know, sometimes men have to, I don't know, it's like, you know, like, show me. Yeah. You know, what's, what's next? Or yeah. what am I missing? And then just get silent, you know, get silent get still and just allow wisdom, life force, all of those things. Like I prefer that on a, you know, on a rock and next to a river, mm -hmm. you know, or looking over a mountain or in no. front of the ocean. Right. Cause then you have a lot of energy to receive. And my, my argument is that the feminine meaning in this instance, meaning nature, the world wants to replenish you. The problem mm -hmm. is she's always there. She's not yeah. stingy. She's, she doesn't say no. Yeah. You know, she wants to replenish you, but you've got to get still and open enough to be able to receive the nourishment. Mm -hmm. Well, that's another example. I feel like children can be such incredible teachers for men specifically, because mm -hmm. when they do sort of share their love, I mean, it takes it takes some real uh, you know, attempt to not, to not let the, you know, at least sometimes. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I think, I think that it can be a good proxy for learning because there's a lot of men that can't receive fucking anything, praise, mm -hmm. pleasure. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you, you name it. And I, I think that gums up the, the works a little bit, but mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. But it yeah, is, and I'd say just to, just to touch on that again, yeah. it's because we're in the habit of the body kind of going out Yes. Right. We're in the habit of, mm, yes. you know, and so just yeah. sitting on the couch while your children are playing, right. Mm -hmm. And, and letting everything soften, letting the front of your body soften, letting your heart open. It's, it takes practice. It's, it's a yogic yeah. 
meditative practice to to kind of tenderize your body open so that you can just receive all that beautiful kid energy love energy home mm -hmm. energy you don't have to go out into the wilderness you can sit on the couch and just feel all of the sweetness in your world um but yeah. it does it, it is a it is a practice and most men do struggle but most of them have never been taught how to receive right we've only been taught right. how to do right yeah. or how to give or how to take care of and 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 you know and so we have to do a little little cross training there yeah so you said earlier you know that the the early years can just one of these very clear great examples of feminine energy just the the action and emotion everything that's going on i'm curious what your thoughts are so sort of you know as children grow as humans grow and in, in age when when I'm sure it's very individualized, but do you have any thoughts on sort of where and when the masculine sort of that that access to spaciousness and openness is maybe needed or maybe comes more online or how we might notice it and how we might nurture it as parents and just pay attention to that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that that's a, that's great, and I think that's I think a lot. I see a lot more dads doing that and just asking that question, and I think that's beautiful. I certainly wish. You know, um, my dad had, you know, shared that with me as it turned out, you know, my mom is the one who taught me about meditation and, you know, and, mm -hmm. and merging with the infinite and all that stuff. But, um, you know, my guess is somewhere 10 to 13, you know, is when it starts to come mm -hmm. on where you can actually sit down with them. Maybe earlier you could sit down with them and say, Hey, we're just going to, we're just going to breathe together. Yeah. Let's just breathe together and get still. And let's look into each other's eyes right? and just to, just to try it. I imagine some children will be able to do that earlier than others, depending on their constitution. But, but I think starting after seven, eight, nine, just trying to create a couple moments like, Hey buddy, let's take Duke as your son's name. Yeah. Yeah. He's four. Yeah. Duke yeah. six. Jude is Duke six. Is four. Yeah. Okay, so Duke is six, right? So maybe you just try to sit down with him and you're like, maybe you're out taking him hunting. And I'm just using you because you've got mm -hmm. a son, right? Yeah. But you're out taking him hunting and you're just like, hey, man, let's just let's just take some breaths and feel the forest. Mm -hmm. You're teaching him stillness. You're teaching him to cultivate his sensitivity. You're teaching him a meditative practice. And I imagine that would be kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We used to... When we lived in California, we would go hiking above Ojai. There's a couple trails that we loved, and then have I'd have Duke on the back and Jude on the front, and we would have these like, you know, ten minute periods where we would just listen and that was mm -hmm. beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I imagine I'm, I imagine they can feel it through your body. So just for other fathers, you know, whose kids yes. might be a little more active, if you yeah. get still, your downregulated nervous system downregulates theirs. So just doing your own breath work, just doing your own grounding work, just doing your own kind of spaciousness work will have an impact on your child's nervous system. Very, I think that is very, very underrated, you know? Uh, yeah, I think that's almost central. I, I mean, yeah. I, I think that's that's almost first in some ways or mm -hmm. could be could be considered mm -hmm. first. Yeah, I yeah, love that. Yeah. Yeah, I would I'm working with a, I'm mentoring a, a family of boys right now. And it's, it's, I, you know, I've, I, I started my career working with young men and, and adolescents and then have solely been working with adults for a long time now, but kind of, uh, not solely, but pr primarily. And so I'm, I, I took this on and I'm mentoring an 11 year old, 
13 year old and a 15 year old boy who's almost 16. And it's just been just, it's just been brilliant and so much fun. But one of the things we did in our first weekend together, we, um, I mean, I hired a Wim Hof instructor and came over and, and did some, just some simple breath work and some ice, but my God, the, in the breath work itself, like the, the like mind blowing mm-hmm. sort of access, like, and it's just the feedback that these, that these boys shared was just, it was so rad, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. just simple things from like, I've never, I don't think I ever took a, a, my lungs fully inhaled before to just a feel of giddiness and quiet. And so I think, you know, as we're talking about that, that, that's maybe that's where that question was subconsciously coming from, because just a couple of weeks ago and, and noticing that that maybe maybe the first conscious experience or noticing experience of that, boom, that just that that silence or, or whatever. It was just brilliant. It was so mm-hmm. cool to be a mm-hmm. part of. You know? Yeah. You know, in the relationship um, between breath and that is 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 under. Um, taught i would say that the, the deep breath the full breath that doing a breath practice and you're just doing 30 wim hof breaths all of a sudden accesses all of this spaciousness in your mind you know brain chemistry changes the whole thing right and um so all pranayama breath all all good yogic breath gives us access to stillness and spaciousness even it's cool it's cool to hear even in an 11 year old and a 16 year old and you know that's great so you know, what you teach, if, if you thought that, I'm, I'm just curious, do you think that there's a version of a world or even just a community where, where, where these types of understandings are more integrated from a, from a ground up approach? Is, is there anything in that idea that's inappropriate or, or, or not possible? I'm just, I'm just curious if, if you could, like, are there elements that parents could begin to bring into their family. And just backing up for three minutes, my sense of this is by living it through your body first, which Mm -hmm. creates the conditions for this to kind of organically and naturally happen. But, but I'm, yeah, I'd love to hear your take. Yeah. How do we, well, I think, I think, I think if we set the intention that we're going to give our children a set of tools that will allow them to, to acclimate to the world in a stronger way, if we set that intention, that's a great place to start. Whether it's breath work or some time, you know, some silent time, hell, gratitude list, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, uh, you can name it, pick your tool. But but if we set that intention, that's a beautiful start. Then, because every human is different, you know, cultivating our capacity to feel what each human needs in each moment. You know, this is part of what I call good masculine leadership. It's like, if I am grounded and spacious and sensitive to what the people around me need, what one child needs might be different than what the other child needs. And so having the capacity to feel that, you know, for lack of a better term, to feel that, to know that, Um, I think is good masculine leadership. For example, you know, one child may need to sort of dance and move energy through their body while the other child sits in stillness, right? And breathes, right? And so just being, you know, cultivating a a full quiver of practices is a big piece of what I consider good men's work because sometimes expression is needed. Sometimes pounding on our chest and primal screaming is needed. You know, we need to move the energy. Sometimes it's um, sometimes it's really about getting spacious and grounded and still. Sometimes it's both. 
Mm-hmm. And and being able to pull those things out of our quiver, I think, is is a, is what men are learning to do. And you know, you asked about community, so I don't think there's anything inappropriate with bringing those tools, right? Just like you would teach them to hunt, you know, 200, 300 years yeah. ago, you teach them to hunt, you teach them to make a shelter, you teach them how to do certain things to survive in the world. This is kind of new, right? That the, these are new currencies. Presence is a new currency. You know, sensitivity is a new currency. And they're stepping into the world needing to cultivate these new currencies that weren't needed so much um, in the past. Yeah. Yeah, that's really true. That's, um, well, I'll get to that question in just a minute. I wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the last eight years of of Claire's life was just magical. You also mentioned that you, you know, you started really your teaching path, what you said in er early teens, maybe. Yeah, Um, she was about 13, 13. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how integrated was was she? How much did you share of your teaching world with her? And yeah, I, I guess the word that comes just that sort of that time period of your life. I would love to hear more of how, how, that, how that went. Yeah, yeah. Well, at the time I had a business, I was running a, I was an entrepreneur. I was running a wholesale flower business in LA at the time. And um, when she was young, that was sort of my focus was just building that business so we, I could make money. And then mm-hmm. once I did that and was successful in that, I started, I found David Data's work. I started to work intensely with him for many years. Um, I started to work, you know, do all, all kinds of other men's work, you name it from MKP to Toltec shamanism to the, it, basically everything. And, and then as I came home from those weekends, Claire would be interested. She'd like, what did you do? What did you learn? And so her and I got very much into these topics and I would, I would bring these to her and she became very fascinated and they started what was really cool for me. That was a proud Papa moment was that I was talking to her about you know, about art, like about making art mm-hmm. out of whatever is going on in your body or whatever's going on in your world. And that's something I got directly from David. And I was talking about this concept of making art, you know, just making art out of sadness or making art out of ang- mm-hmm. ang- anguish or making art out of something. And one of the things that she got famous for was making art out of, you know, out of her situation, right? And so she actually brought it into a talk and she, you know, she made, she got famous for making her hospital rooms incredibly artful. She'd decorate them and turn them into these incredible scenes. And so I I, I really saw how my life purpose and my, the philosophies that I was learning uh, really impacted her and, and gave her and elevated her. And, and in the end, you know, also this, her relationship with death got very deep. Like she was, she started to, you know, laugh at it and make fun of it. And we used to write songs. I'd play guitar and we'd, she'd write songs on death, you know, like deathbed songs. And so we would play with it a lot. And, and, um, and so she just naturally loved my work and started to get into my work. And when she started dating, she started asking me about the masculine and the feminine and how it shows Mm -hmm. up. And, and um, and she also got very you know interested in that. Um, so I'd say there was a ton of you know it, it was very impactful for her, and I'm I'm very grateful for my teachers who taught me these deeper ways of understanding the world and myself and the divine 
um, giving me these tools that I could pass on to Claire. Yeah. I'm called to ask you the divine. Mm-hmm. What, what, what do I consider it? the divine? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What do you consider the divine? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I'll give you this stock answer that I give in my <laughs> book. And mm-hmm. this is from my Buddhist upbringing, but you know, whether you call it God, whether you call it the mystic law, whether you call it great spirit, whether you, whatever you call that, which is life force and, you know, consciousness, you know, um, the mystic law has both a, an unchanging latent Mm. thing, right? Peace, Mm -hmm. peace. Mm -hmm. And then a peace that's constantly changing. Mm-hmm. right like so you could think of it as a seed right a seed has this sort of unchanging dna germinating right right you know or, or a core to it like we have this core unchanging piece you have there's a you that has never changed the you before you were born the you before you were named right that you is the same you when you die yeah. right everything else in you has changed you know multiple billions and trillions of times uh, during the course of your life. And so the mystic law is is the combination of that which never changes. I would call that consciousness. And that which is always changing, which I would call energy. And so the more we can feel unchanging consciousness and the flow of energy, the more we can feel both of those things simultaneously, the more plugged into the divine we are. Now, mm-hmm. some people might have deities and things like that, and and that's totally cool. I mean, I do too, right? You know, you might pray to the moon or, you know what I mean? Or like there's yeah. different elements, but I actually think the divine, if you think of yin and yang, that's a beautiful way to put it, right? You know what I mean? The, yeah. the yin and yang is sort of a symbol of divine union. Um, I tend to look at it that way, but of course, everybody's yeah. got their own, you know, everybody's got their own aspect to it. I mean, just if you take God, you know, uh, what's that saying? you know, be still and know that I am God, you know? And, and so in that, in that phrase, they're talking about the unchanging essence that is the divine. While of course, you know, you, yeah. God is everything, making the planet, the universe, da, 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 da. So I think there's, that's where you kind of pull apart just to get a little esoteric here. That's where you get into the masculine and feminine of it all. Right. That These right. are not gender specific energies these are natural energies alive in every atom for example if you if you bore down to the core of an atom you'll find space there's just empty space and then there's energy that's the atom space and energy and so once we start to feel these natural polarities alive in all existence we can start to feel them in us and and work with them yeah which is a spiritual practice, I would argue. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think uh, when I first made a list of of fathers to interview um, for this project, I mean, you were right at right at the top. And and the reason being, John, is is I just I don't believe there are all that many public examples uh, available of of what you know you you mentioned you know David's three categories of, mm-hmm. of the toxic the healthy and the elevated I just I really I, I, I maybe maybe it's not even just public maybe it's in general maybe there's mm-hmm. not that what what does it look like to parent what does it look like to have a family what does it look like to have relationships 
with the divine centered through that lens. And so I think it's a fair assumption that, that, you know, I guess just drawing the line between that concept of the divine, the explanation of the divine, but then living that, I mean, from afar, right. From afar, who's, who's, who's watched you along your path and, and, you know, followed along Claire's, Claire's journey and, and her story and your story. And, um, I mean, it, it truly is a remarkable, really remarkable. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. And and so I guess you know, it seems a fair assumption that 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 you holding the divine in that process has something to do with how it all went right. down. Is that is maybe that fair? Yeah, I, I would like to think I mean, so. Of course, I'd like to think that my yeah. spiritual practice and my you know connection to the infinite let's call it right uh, had something to do with her but like we said at the beginning like i try to put that into practice and and let me just be clear dan like i mm-hmm. i have a very toxic masculine myself you know yeah, I, mean, I have yeah. to constantly work yeah. on on developing my healthy yeah. masculine my non-reactive spacious you know communicating mm-hmm. healing and um so i think I think what I'd love men to know, because this happens with David's book in particular, you know, the way the superior man, men read that book and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, this makes so much sense. I'm just going to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's so fucking hard to live that way. And um, and so it's really a journey of failure and recommitment. So mm-hmm. I would say to, you know, the fathers watching this is like, you know, take anything that I said here as a you know, as a, a practice to try on, and it's a lifelong practice, there's no destination, it's all journey, and it's all failure and recommitment. It's like, so last night, I got mad and yelled at my son when they were didn't want to go to bed, you know, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tonight, I'm going to commit to being playful, when that happens, right to being loving and playful. And so, we're, we're all just, you know, I'm just another bozo on the bus, like, you know, like everybody. And, um, but I'd like to think that, you know, I'd like to think that I've committed myself to a practice that, that does obviously hopefully make a difference for Claire and hopefully the other people that I work with. Yeah. Beautiful. So a couple of questions that I'm, uh, kind of repeating with different guests. Uh, but the first is that, you know, 2022, whatever the fuck year it is right now, and, and the world in in the state that it is right now. I'm curious, what say that you were to jump back in as that, or what would the advice you or the ideas you'd have for fathers today with, I think it's always been an unknown future, right? I, I, I don't think that's necessarily new, but there's at right. least a societal sort of feeling that's a little sharper or hotter mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, what, what, what would you say to think about in raising children for the future that's a good that's a good question um well because everything is unknown right because we don't know what's going to happen to the planet we don't know if there's going to be an even worse pandemic that just like you know clears half of us out right who knows what's going to happen um i would go back to how we started and really focus on this idea like look i don't know how long i have with my kids i don't know nothing's guaranteed right? Um, Nothing's guaranteed for me or them or the world. So what do I have to do both for me and them? So that when I die, I can I can say I gave them the best life possible. And I know a lot of men think that, you know, like it's it makes sense to think that way. 
but rarely do I actually think men take it into their daily practice. And you can short, just to make this super simple, it can be a daily practice. So for example, one of the great practices I got from David that I love is um, imagine tonight when I put my head down, it's a kind of death. Mm. And so what do I have to do today? Like what are the two or three, usually it's not more than that, two or three things that if I did today, when I put my head down on the pillow tonight, I can go to bed without any thought. Mm -hmm. I can go to bed fully complete. And, and I think that question just sharpens the day. It mm -hmm. might not be work might just work might just happen automatically. It might be, I'm going to play for an hour with my kids. I'm going to make love to my wife. I'm going to spend an hour writing on my book or whatever it is. And, and, and just continually bringing it back. I, I would encourage men to continually bring it back to the present moment and mm -hmm. what is most true for you to be living in maximum integrity in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And, and that tends to create better future moments. <laughs> that tends to do mm -hmm. that. So I guess that would be my one piece of advice for, for men today to slow it down, to come back into the body, into the moment, into the breath. And then what do I want to create from here? Beautiful. Yeah. So the next question is, is um, <laughs> just, it's not fully formed, but this idea of, of uh, I do believe that there is a, uh, uh, I don't know, a missing element of fathering, you know, now, maybe in the recent past, maybe, maybe indefinitely into the past, um, and so this idea of fathering not only our own children, but our communities, or even fathering culture in general. Um, curious where you might take that idea. Mm -hmm. Well, I definitely think we're coming out of two or three generations where father was absent. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? The 60s yeah. and 70s uh, into the 80s yeah. and 90s, you know, there's two generations of men who grew up without fathers. I mean, this is proven sociologically, yeah. you know, Robert Glover in his book, No More Mr. Nice Guy wrote on this. Um, and so I think that we're coming out of this time where fathers have been absent. I think that's changing. Yeah. And yeah. I think this generation, the last, you know, the millennial generation um, and uh, Gen Z, is that what it is? I think yeah. that they are, they are much more aware of the import of father, right? It's just the presence of father and the currencies that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And um, whereas my generation wasn't taught that shit at all. Like now at least we're, you know, it's starting to make its way little by little yeah. into the mainstream uh, lexicon. So I, I think it's important to understand that there is a, the way I would describe it, at least what I talk about in my groups, right? There's a texture of masculine love mm -hmm. that is both spacious and wide, but also demanding and clear mm. that is nutrient, right? So it's, it, it's got a spine. Mm -hmm. It's, it's love with a spine yep. and that kind of fathering, that kind of loving, I see other men, like they lap it up yeah. from each other. You know what I mean? Like when I'm yeah. having them in front of each other and they're like, you know, calling that out of each other, they just, love it. They're both crying and screaming. And this is, you know, it's a great, it's a really great experience, but I think the feminine is dying yeah. for that, you know, for that love with the spine, um, through us that isn't movable, but isn't closed. 
And so I think fathering has a, you know, if I was going to just describe the embodied texture of fathering that I think is wanting to emerge, that's it. One of the biggest inspirations this last couple of years for me has been, uh, I'm not going to remember the name, but uh, Bell Hooks, uh, big book on men, her, her book mm, on men. Mm, mm. And basically the entire thesis is that the world is starving for for masculine love. Absolutely. And I just yeah. read that first chapter. I'm like, holy fuck, man. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's it. I see it um, every day, man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I I and this is why this is partially why this project for me now is that I am I I I do I've been sharing that I see this generation of of dads kind of taking the role on right now as in a, a wildly wildly unique uh, mm-hmm. position where th- there is there is some real sort of catch up some healing you know ca- ca- to be the chain breakers and to kind of do it, there's there's work involved right it's not some simple thing to be handed but i really yeah. do think that the leverage and the impact that um that can that seems to be possible and at least more and more people are waking up to so here's my last question is imagine with me for a few minutes a world or a society you know, I don't know, 20, 60, 80, 100 years down the road where where that's where it is intact, where, where more of this this male love is flowing and people are mm. receiving it. What changes? Mm. Oh, well, first is our relationship to the feminine, mm. right? Our own feminine, right? Our own emotional bodies, energetic bodies, right? So the feminine, you know, nature, earth, right? Our relationship to the earth our relationship to women, obviously. And yeah. so it what, what changes is that we go from wanting to get from, extract mm-hmm. from, you know, mine from, you know, whether it's feminine energy or it's, you know, lithium, right? You know, yeah. we're not just, yeah. we're not just in this sort of accumulation acquisition sort of extraction mode, but we're more in this protection, um, giving, holding, shepherding mode that's co-creating with the feminine not like not my way or the highway but like i'm here let's 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 cultivate your wisdom my wisdom our wisdom so that we can come up with some of the solutions that that are staring us in the face I don't want to muddy it up with any more words. I mean, that's 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 incredible, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm so appreciative of you and and all you give and have given and continue to give, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, here's to here's to a uh, potential potentiality for humanity with 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 more balance and and love, man. Oh, oh, oh here's to a good 2023. Maybe we'll check in next year and we'll see how we did. Sounds like a plan, John. Yeah. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, glad to be well. Thank you for listening to the Fatherhood Unlock podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please go to wherever you listen to it. Give us a rating. Give it a star. Whatever you can do to boost this in the world of the digital realms. And if you're looking for more, if you're looking to go deeper, go to dandody.com and look out all the offerings that I'm putting on. And it would be awesome if you joined our mailing list, go to the website, go to the bottom of the page, put in your email address, and you can stay up to date with all of the courses, experiences, wilderness expeditions, all the things coming up. Tell a friend, show up for your kids, take care of yourself, have fun. Thank you for listening, and I hope to see you next time.